0: At the end of season 2017 18, we demanded to know from you which of our big interviews you most enjoyed. And the winner is. We're on the coach, and I can remember sitting there and thinking, okay, oh that's George Weir. Just <laughs> sort of sitting there with his headphones on. The week he left, we played Bradford at home, and Joe put George on the bench and started me. And I think George thought, and was playing ahead of me, I've gone. <laughs> but what a brilliant, brilliant guy. In second place, we had...
1: I'm inspired by Rocky Balboa. One of my best meetings, I thought, um, was with um, Dortmund before we played a game against Bayern Munich. And I spoke about Rocky for Ivan Drago. So, of course, Bayern was Ivan Drago, having everything, Mm. all technology. And we are Rocky Balboa (laughs) with all these old-fashioned tools and and, and stuff like that. And after three, four minutes, I was really on fire. (laughs) And I I see, I look really in dead eyes. And I said, Okay stop. Who knows, Rocky? <laughs> and only two players showed up. Okay. <laughs> um, he, he,
0: we have to start again. And the bronze medal position goes to this guy. For me, David uh, Gea is the best because I think he has something that comes from God. God chose him in the goal and God chose Messi on the pitch. You cannot train what he did against Kun when he had the ball two metres from him and he... the hand out you cannot train it so he has some special abilities that i think he hasn't trained them you just happen well (laughs) now Welcome to the Big Inside View from the World Cup. And this is a day that I really hope that I do justice to. Let me set the scene a little bit. You know by now that we're based down in the south in Krasnodar. pretty near Georgia, not far from Sochi. Swelteringly hot, sometimes as high as 95, 96 degrees. Mosquitoes everywhere. Some of the players, particularly Athletic Bilbao's Kippa, um, savagely bitten. They're all using spray, but you can see them at night swatting the mosquitoes away when they train and therefore we knew that the the big change coming up to this slightly unusual geographically what used to be konigsberg at one stage which means the king's town and is now kaliningrad and it's kind of a little pocket of land away up right on the baltic between sort of lithuania and poland not really very far from uh, dansk which was danzig originally, of course dansk where Three of the group games when Spain last won a tournament, last won a tournament as if it was a century ago, back in 2012 when they won the European Championships. This town, Kaliningrad, where they are now, is very, very close to Dansk. I wonder if that's an omen. I wonder if it's a help because of the thing I'm about to talk about, which is the climate. So we leave Krasnodar, where, again, it's, it's pretty hot. It's a sort of two and a half hour flight. And we get onto the tarmac directly with the, the Spain team and onto a charter flight, which is perfectly comfortable. It's about three quarters full airflot. I know that those people who are travelling the World Cup as fans or journalists aren't necessarily doing cartwheels over Aeroflot's um onboard cuisine, but it's a remarkable thing that gets served around the Spain players and staff in that you get sort of a choice of five small different types of salad. You get each of them. I don't even got a choice. You get each of them, plus a main dish of chicken or with potatoes or pasta or rice, plus a sort of sweet thing, plus fruit. It's really very extravagant. It's like traveling, I don't know, business class somewhere. Anyway, the players put up with a two and a half hour flight, no problem at all. And arriving in Kaliningrad is a bit of a thing because it's instantly a very different looking city from Krasnodar, even from, certainly from Sochi, uh, which is like, you know, Florida kind of thing. A little bit like Kazan, because Kaliningrad is a very northern European looking city. You could easily think that you were in um, Denmark or Sweden. At some stages, Scotland is very, very green. The architecture is noticeably northern European. There are mosques for sure. There are Bits of the, the town that you might say, mm, I think I'm in Russia, but it looks very, very different, feels very different from Krasnodar because the temperature is down to 15 degrees. Now, this is where I'm building to because over the last couple of days before we arrived here, there's been a deluge of rain. It really has been pelting down. And because Kaliningrad has had a couple of really good games, I was the host to Croatia and Nigeria because we had a tour of the stadium today with one of the stadium managers. And he was listing the games and I said to him, you've had two absolute belters of matches. Because the other one was, of course, the Switzerland game the other night when I want to take a moment to talk about uh, Shaqiri um, whose hips did not lie against uh, Serbia. I'm not trying to be controversial because clearly uh, Modric and Rakitic against Argentina stood out. Um, Very clearly, Ronaldo's hat-trick against Spain is a brilliant, iconic World Cup moment. I, I was tempted to say that Shakiri's individual performance against Serbia in terms of turning the game back round, opening spaces, his physical bravery, his funny little bursts of power and technical ability, given that he looks like a guy who hasn't discovered lettuce, although when he strips his top off, he's not a bad nick in muscular terms. The difference being, and this wouldn't be a critical voice for me, let me assure you, is that modern clubs like Body fat percentage is so low, like 8 9%. And I just don't think that Um Shakiri, who's, who's born with a kind of stocky frame, isn't necessarily quite at, at that level. Let's leave that description there. Yet his power, his explosive pace, his, his willingness to show for the ball all the time and then take it nicely in his stride, hide it, control it, smuggle it past players even before he got that late winning goal, I just loved his performance. It had me on the edge of my seat. And I thought it took aside Switzerland, who were not, I didn't think, in phase of the game, looking quite as assured or quite as technically strong as Serbia had. It took Switzerland into the driving seat long before he scored that late winner. And I really enjoyed it. And therefore, I'm tentatively saying that might well be my individual performance of the World Cup so far Anyway, That's one of the games that was played um, here in Kaliningrad. And the news reached us in Krasnodar last night in our tactical bunker here at uh, the big inside view office that the decision had been from the various football authorities who who look at these things that neither uh, Morocco nor Spain would be able to train on the Kaliningrad pitch tonight, Sunday, before the match on Monday. So you come up, anybody who's read the book I wrote about Spain winning the three trophies will remember that pitches in South Africa, particularly if I remember correctly, Pretoria and one of the Joburg pitches, which would have been the rugby pitch, where the Springboks won the World Cup of rugby. These two pitches suffered up because there was a a flash frost, it was obviously a winter tournament for South Africa, and those pitches needed real protection because at some stages they got really chopped up and muddy and, and not great for playing flowing, attacking football with the ball fizzing across the surface. This was different, though. You know, on hearing that the pitch needed protecting, you worry a little bit, I guess. Anyway, on arrival at the stadium, with it being prohibited that anybody walk across the pitch and blah, 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 you take a look at it and the mowers are on it at that stage. And you think oh, if they're mowing the grass, that's a good sign. Good sign because the turf is obviously firm enough to hold the mowers, but great sign for uh, Spain because they like the... A uh, Jimmy Somerville cut is what they like the pitch to be like. Bronski beat, communards, anybody? Anybody? No? Okay, fine. So initially that was a good sign. i just wandering around the edge of the pitch and taking a look at it. It might be holding a bit of water. It might move underfoot. I mean, it might even chop up the studs, but it ostensibly it looked very, very good. An impression which was on your mind a little bit when Sergio Busquets and Fernando Hierro arrived a little bit later on after we had done, walked onto the pitch and we couldn't hear what they were saying, but Busquets looked happy enough. But Fernando Hierro kind of leant down, touched the nap of the pitch and seemed to be shaking his head, which confused me a lot. Then, in the press conference, when asked about the state of the pitch, he was as robust and clear-cut as you could possibly be as a coach facing a game where, you know, circumstances say you can still go out. Absolutely perfect. The pitch is absolutely wonderful. There will be no impediment to us playing our game. Nobody should think of it like that. The playing surface is in great condition. So what he'd been shaking his head at about 20 minutes earlier, I'm not quite sure, unless he was saying it feels crazy that we're... um, training somewhere else, having a journey, uh, changing the routine, blah, 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 blah. Maybe he was saying, this pitch is absolutely fine to train on. However, um, interviewed Busquets and Iero individually, just brief ones, very brief stand-ups. And the two things that came out was that Busquets agreed with my contention that Morocco have been pretty hard done by from football in this tournament. The first time in many years they've been at the World Cup and... You know, maybe against Iran, it, it, they didn't do enough to, for me to sing a song of um, amor to them. But you can certainly say in the Portugal game that they outplayed Portugal, that they made very many chances. They played with a certain degree of pace and abandon and openness, which merited more. And this idea that maybe the the tournament owes Morocco something is a phrase that's bouncing around the Spain camp. And, and Busquets said that, you know, their play has earned much more reward. And Yero said that it's vital for them to go out tomorrow, Spain, and and to play to win, to to be firm, to make sure the three points come in. And if that leads to group leadership, then fine, because from Yero downwards, everybody in Spain doesn't simply want to avoid going out or to get through. Their aim is to win the group. They think it's a, this is a contention I made days ago on this podcast, that they think it's a, it's a favourable route, not just the opponents, but distances to travel. If, if they can get into the half of the draw, which says that you play round of sixteen in Moscow, quarter final in Sochi, semi final in Moscow, and final in Moscow. Anyway, Busquets too was very keen on the fact that Iniesta, as far as he's concerned, is in terrific form. If the manager plays him, he'll be quote phenomenal. And Busquets pointed out that there's something extra driving Iniesta beyond his normal competitiveness and class, which is that he's announced this will be his last World Cup with Spain. And therefore, in Busquets' words, there's more pride, there's more there's more need to win driving Iniesta right now than at any stage. So let's see if he's right about that. And the reason I said at the beginning was that, that I wanted to do justice to this day is that I found it extremely interesting, not to say energising, And after this break, I'll tell you exactly why. So look, without any intent to to sell the Spain book that uh, Backpage Press and I published at all, if you've read it, then you'll remember that there's a phase in the 2012 tournament where Spain are living in the Polish country village of Nuino, very basic, rudimentary working class, you'd even say impoverished village of Nuino, about 40 minutes outside Dansk. Now, they win their group easily, um, I would say. Draw against Italy, win against Ireland. A late win, admittedly, against Croatia, but nonetheless, they're group winners. And they go into a run of games where they must play France and Ukraine. In fact, all their games are are subsequently going to be in the Ukraine. Now, Vincente Del Bosque back in 2012 was very happy with the concept of the base is a hidden oasis away from the pressures of a tournament. If we've got the right pitch, if we've got the right hotel, then we stay. Now, the players came to him and said, no, 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 mister. We're tired of being on a plane. Sometimes the journeys can be three or four hours to and from either Donetsk or Kiev. We want to move to the Ukraine and travel less. Now, there's not a row about it, but it takes time to convince the seleccionador, uh, Delvosky. But he does listen and they change. Now, I remember this and it applies to today because... When we went to the de training ground, which had been abandoned by, I think, I think France. So I think by knocking France out, Spain then freed up the very training ground that their players wanted with a hotel right on the campus, a very good training ground too. And I remember going there after having been in Nuino up in the Baltic in Poland for the previous couple of weeks. And it was electrifying, complete change of temperature much hotter. A complete change of facilities, patently not newly made like in Nuino, but a football club. A football club where you could smell and breathe football. It was patent that training sessions had been going on there for years. It was um, surrounded by trees. It was a really smashing, top rate, um, well-designed football complex and the players responded to it. No longer were they in the we know where there was a running track round a pitch whereby they felt that it was a slightly manufactured atmosphere and they didn't feel in the tournament. The instant they got to Donetsk, they felt in the tournament, they recognised the training facilities as something that they could easily have trained at themselves for the club sites and there was, a, there was an upping of the, the pace. There was an upping of noise, there was... A relaxation mentally, I think, in terms of, yeah, this is what we do. Now, that happened today. That happened today because the Kaliningrad pitch being closed to training meant that they had to go and find another stadium, which was something like 20, 25 minutes away from the main stadium, out into a very green, leafy, um, pretty much a forest. Now, it's raining, it's cold, but as Spain players come out to train, you can, again, I use the phrase, you can breathe football. You can feel that this training ground into which they're sort of um, levering themselves because it's a late change of plan, they recognise it and I watch them reacting. It's because the pitch is good, that it's a natural football surrounding, you can see again that this is somewhere where week in, week out, there are football games, it's not a FIFA stadium it's not a big corporate branded affair, it's not suits everywhere, it's a training ground, a proper one and they love it it's a break from the norm because usually it's Krasnodar, FIFA training stadium, um, press conferences and you could hear the noise go up the laughs go up, the ball flies around the training surface you could smell the trees, it's surrounded by greenery And the players absolutely buzzed from it. It gave them an injection of something new and it gave them a big injection of football. There's nothing wrong with the Krasnodar training facility. It's actually extremely pretty. It's well-designed. The facilities are terrific, but it's broiling hot. It's the day-by-day and this gave them the jolt of the new. It gave them freshness and you could see it. It was a buzz to watch, genuinely a buzz to watch, players bashing the ball off each other, passes fizzing in the rondos, jokes, arms around shoulders, people jumping on piggybacks on each other, competitive spirit in the game roaring at each other. It was a change of volume, a change of feeling. And I think it bodes well. This is one of these points where you can throw this back at me. If Spain get beaten by Morocco and by uh, Tuesday morning they're going home, you by all means you can say, well, that might all have been true, but you read the runes wrongly. I don't think that's going to happen. I think I saw positive um, signs that, number one, although I've watched Saul of Atleti showing just a little bit of... Frustration that he's not been involved, a little bit of eagerness to to break his duck and get some World Cup minutes. That aside, it's very clear to me that the rest of them are are, are not yet miffed that they're not playing. There is a a togetherness, that there's a a definite integrity to the squad feeling. However, it's patently obvious that everybody expects to be able to play and that if you're far from home, frustration can cut in. But what the training experience today here in Kaliningrad told me was that Spain look and sound ready to up the quality of their performance from the Iran game, for example. There was nothing wrong with most of the offensive stuff they did against Portugal. And I think that David de Gea, again, I hope, won't be making a repeat of that mistake um, from the Cristiano Ronaldo second goal. But I still think that what Spain need to do is to find a zip, an energy, a domination a chutzpah, um to their performance, which can separate them from the rest of the candidates for this World Cup. And in Kaliningrad here, up near Poland, where they last won a tournament, I think I heard and saw the signs that that's coming on Monday night in this fabulous, compact, noisy stadium. The guys who've worked here over the the two games, Croatia, Nigeria, and then Switzerland, survey, tells me that the stadium holds the sound really, really well. As such it should be a bit of an experience. Looking forward to it very much indeed. I, I have to say, I think that, you know, Morocco are athletic and quick and they, they will now be able to take even more risks than they did in the first two games because they're already out. And if you're playing for pride, that there there they can be a spur. And if Morocco were to get the first goal, then I don't see any reason why it shouldn't be a test. I think Spain's side will be De Gea, Carvajal, Pique, Ramos, Alba, Busquets, Iniesta, Koke back in the midfield, I think followed by Costa, Isco. And here's the thing. It's not impossible that either Iniesta or Silva, looking at their ages and the seasons they've had domestically, might be rested. With candidates aplenty, whether it's Tiago or Asensio. But I have a feeling that it might be Isco, Costa and Silva. Not guaranteed. Not by any manner of means. Aspas could play. Tiago could play. Asensio could play. Very simply, those things could happen. There's no question. And Lucas, although... He wasn't the right player necessarily for the style of the um, game against Iran. He's clearly a coach's favourite, played in both of the games so far. And therefore, changes might happen. But that's my team. I think that it's, uh, it's pretty damn close or at the, the, the first game against Portugal, from Carvajal for Nacho. And, and frankly, with no disrespect to Morocco, I'm going to back what I th- think my ears and eyes heard and saw. Spain by two goals, and, fingers crossed, group leaders. Talk to you after Monday. I really hope you're enjoying these World Cup shows. We've got huge plans for next season, but we do need your help to make them happen. Go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, a member, to join us, to support us. You'll get an extra big interview every month plus lots of other bonus content. Last season, our members got nine exclusive big interviews, including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Dini, and Roberto Di Matteo. So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Do it now, please.